You're listening to World Class from the Freeman Scobley Institute for International Studies at Stanford University. We bring expertise on international affairs from Stanford's campus straight to you. I'm Michael McFall, host of World Class and director of the Freeman Scobley Institute. Across Belarus for the last two weeks, protesters have taken to the streets to demonstrate against the Belarusian government and President Alexander Lukashenko, who claims to have won the country's last presidential election in early August with 80% of the vote. Exit polling, however, demonstrated that opposition leader Svetlana Tikhonovskaya actually garnered wide popular support. The images and videos of mass demonstrations in Belarus are genuinely inspiring to anyone who believes in democracy. Most certainly for me personally, they have been inspiring. But the situation is also precarious, as Lukashenko might be tempted to try to crack down. And of course, Russian President Vladimir Putin is looming in the wings. To help us understand these amazing events, my guest today is Alas Latvinets, a scholar and activist in Belarus. He teaches politics at the European Humanities University, a Belarusian university in exile in neighboring Lithuania. From 2012 to 2016, he was a deputy chair of the Movement of Freedom, and in 2017, he became a founder and council member of DEIA, a civic initiative group in Belarus. Alice also ran as a candidate in parliament in local elections in Belarus in 2016. And he is an alumnus of our Draper Hills Summer Fellows Program at the Center for Democracy Development and Rule of Law here at the Freeman Spogli Institute at Stanford University. Fantastic that we could find you given all the events going on. Welcome to the podcast, Alice. Thank you very much. It's an honor and privilege for me to be invited and to share my views and to talk about my country, which is a kind of hot spot for international attention right now. Hot spot indeed. First of all, let's just start with some basic facts. Can you explain to our listeners what were the events leading up to the situation that then triggered these massive demonstrations? Well, we have a very peculiar political system and authoritarian, consolidated authoritarian regime with a ruler, uh, well, President uh, Lukashenko, who is in power for 26 years. And uh, he relied mostly for his rule on uh, rigging elections, but also on uh, very generous uh, Russian support. He used to have a strong charisma as well. For uh, many years, he uh, kept power thanks to that. And this year, well, few pundits expected it would be difficult election for him or self-reappointment. I love that phrase. Let's focus on that. Self-reappointment. Thank you. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, because, Keep going. Well, it's, we are not a monarchy. It's not, uh, well, absolutist rule uh, like in uh, 18th century. There are elections or what is called elections in Belarus. Uh, well, as a candidate in elections, I know that, uh, well, uh, the whole process is controlled by the executive and uh, the figures they produced, they are very far from reality because uh, there is strict control on uh, electoral commissions and uh, uh, mostly, well, 99% uh, loyal people are members of the commissions and they produce results that are put from uh, the top to them. And that, that's it. During early elections, well, especially in 2006 and 2010, there were protests and uh, also a large uh, scale protests, unsuccessful. But Lukashenko managed to stay in power. And uh, this year it didn't work uh, for him. He's still in power, but uh, surely we have a completely new situation in Belarus right now. Why now? Well, yes. there are a few explanations and people talk about the kind of fatigue of the uh, dictatorial rule. 
and uh, well, the generations are, are changing. He came to power with uh, slogans, uh, well, uh, very pro-Soviet uh, slogans, post-imperial slo slogans of restoring the old regime. And he reintroduced state control over enterprise. Up to 70% of our uh, economy is still state-run. And uh, well, uh, there is uh, ideological control. And uh, he was the one in 94, he was the one who said that I'm ready to go to Russia even on my knees. And uh, he uh, launched this saga of the so-called fraternal integration with Russia. And uh, truly, it provided benefits for him because thanks to subsidized price for oil and gas, he could uh, redistribute, uh, have a system, a more egalitarian system, social system in Belarus than, for example, in uh, Ukraine or in Russia. So the, this was also one of the resources of the regime and uh, one of the explanation of uh, why it lasted so long. But finally, right. this year, there were a few other events that uh, concurred also were factors uh, that uh, contributed to uh, the weakening of his position. First is uh, the way he handled uh, the coronavirus uh, crisis. Uh -huh. so he, he mishandled it. And uh, uh, well, uh, he um, accused people uh, for being responsible themselves. He talked about psychosis uh, as not a, as a threat, but he talked ab uh, about uh, uh, things that, uh, well, it is uh, imposed from above and uh, we should not care. We should care about our economy. And he uh, offered solutions that were uh, really appalling and uh, people were especially and it was to uh, mostly uh, backbone uh, electorate. Uh, so people from small cities, uh, people in the rural areas, he lost much of his legitimacy over there. And um, uh, there is a, another factor, factor related to the, uh, this uh, so-called integration with Russia. Well, he uh, launched himself uh, this project of union state with Russia, but uh, finally for a year and a half, he tried to oppose the uh, Russian claims to uh, finally for Belarus being incorporated in, into Russia. Because uh, we remember, uh, well, almost two years ago in December, the then Russian Prime Minister Medvedev talked about uh, the roadmaps and about uh, next steps towards uh, integration. And he talked about uh, uh, common customs, common fiscal policy, common currency also, and uh, uh, finally uh, about creating supranational institutions. And uh, Lukashenko tried to oppose it, but uh, anyway, he always played a kind of uh, cat and mouse with uh, Russia because uh, he is very dependent upon Russian support. Russia for many, for almost entire of his rule, and maybe uh, we are witnesses of this right now, was a hegemonic protector of Lukashenko, because right. uh, his regime faced Western sanctions, because it's not for the first time that the election results is rigged. It is regularly, unfortunately, rigged in Belarus, and the uh, following 2006 election, for following 2010 elections, there were also Western sanctions against uh, Lukashenko's regime and uh, discontent, uh, uh, his loss of legitimacy, created, uh, well, the background for uh, unexpected mobilization of people. And there were new candidates, well, uh, some of them coming uh, from, the, uh, from inside the regime. Some hope uh, was born, and uh, now nobody could uh, expect such, uh, well, long queues for, um, of people waiting to uh, give signature, because uh, just to understand, we have a kind of police state, well, um, uh, it's impossible to have, uh, almost impossible to have legal public rallies. You need to ask permission, you need, right. to, uh, need to pay money, and uh, any discontent is uh, cracked uh, by the right police. 
So we have a police state and for Belarusians, we used to have in 2011, for example, we used to have a kind of silent protest that even silent people were arrested, put to prison. In 2017, it was the same. People were not very happy with the law on so-called social parasites. Uh, so, so people who were not working and who had to pay a tax and uh, people went to the streets. Once again, there was well, it was a st uh, strength of the regime. They tried to fragment uh, it and also to uh, use targeted uh, repressions. So the regime uh, uh, hit once again in 2017. And the fact that people just silently taking uh, in the context of uh, coronavirus uh, still hitting hard Belarus, while uh, people taking uh, silently cues and waiting uh, for uh, just to signing for an alternative candidate, it was really very uh, new. And uh, what he, he did uh, uh, in the way to the election, two major candidates, one of them was not prevented even to run as a candidate, another one gathering signatures, well, uh, I mean, uh, um, Sergei Tikhanovsky, another one was arrested, Viktor Babarika, who was uh, uh, arrested uh, uh, apparently on uh, the fake claims that he was responsible for tax evasion and so, so on. Uh, he used to be head of the local branch of uh, Gazprom Bank here in Belarus. So two major candidates being arrested and uh, another one was disqualified uh, because of the signature. So one needs uh, uh, to uh, submit uh, hundreds of thousands of signatures, at least hundreds of thousands of signatures to be uh, nominated as a candidate. And uh, finally, they de decided that the wife of a political prisoner, Svetlana Tikhanovska, would not be uh, very dangerous for them. And it was a really very uh, amazing situation when the discontent was so high that people were ready to vo vote whomever, but not him. There were three other candidates whose campaigns were not, um, not so visible. So the major struggle was between Tikhanovsky and the person with whose humanity was very obvious and uh, who uh, also many people were, had compassion towards her and the mother of two kids uh, with uh, uh, husband being in prison and uh, Hemer Sechu. Was, was very calm and very, to some extent, elementary, but un uh, understandable to people. She said that uh, I'm, uh, I understand, well, I didn't want to go into politics, but I, uh, I, I have to run uh, for the sake of my family, but also for the sake of my larger family of Belarus, because we need uh, to change the country uh, and we need to have new elections, uh, uh, new, and uh, there was an agreement between disqualified, not registered candidates uh, and uh, herself. We need uh, uh, a new election. We need also uh, the full release, the end of political repression, release of political prisoners, and new election with the present, uh, presence of international observers. Because uh, for the first time, the regime didn't invite, providing as a reason the coronavirus situation, uh, so they didn't invite, in, invite international observers, in case of Belarus, the OSC observers. These were very simple program points uh, uh, from here, but uh, tension was so high and uh, people were not so unsatisfied with the situation that uh, they voted for her. And uh, there was uh, a very uh, good initiative, GOLAS, which uh, was created. There was an online platform for people uh, registering and then uh, uh, providing copies of their ballots. And it was a very good move, asymmetric move, because uh, it was a very good tool for gathering information from, uh, directly from citizens about how they voted. Because, you know, you talked in the introduction about exit polls. Well, we don't have properly, we don't have exit polls uh, institutions, uh, independent institutions in Belarus, because right. 
it is prohibited by the regime. And what we could have following the election, that several commissions, you know, well, across the country, Belarus is a country of uh, nine and a half uh, million people. And across the country, there are uh, 70,000 uh, electoral commission members. And some electoral commissions, and especially when uh, there were observers, uh, well, some electoral commissions provided results that were quite the uh, opposite of what the regime claimed. And at some polling stations where, uh, well, uh, with honest commission members, well, the uh, Svetlana Tikhanovska had 70-80%, just the opposite of what Lukashenko claimed. And right. it was outstanding proof of the uh, uh, scale of the uh, rigging of falsifications that the regime did. And we still have, uh, in and discuss in Belarus, uh, audios or videos uh, recordings from commission members or uh, even from the sessions or discussions between different commission members about how the local authorities put pressure on them to provide the needed results. Right. And so it, it, it really triggered this protest and uh, people and even more when we, the campaign started in June. Uh, so the, we have an extraordinary mobilization of people because many of them say enough is enough. Thank you so much. That's a fantastic description of how we got to this moment. I want to just underscore a few things. So one, I think it's important for our listeners to remember that there was mobilization before election day, right? And there were these big demonstrations for Svetlana Tikhanovskaya before the election day. But two, thank you so much for explaining how citizens of Belarus knew that the election results were falsified. It was not exit polling, to be clear. But it was, one, the organization Golas helped to publish that, and two, there were some genuinely honest election commissioners that published the results that were at odds with the official results. Uh, I did not know that. That's very useful for us to hear. Tell us, Alice, once people knew that information, who organized the demonstrations? How was it spontaneous? Was there uh, civic groups? How was it that you could have such massive demonstrations happen so quickly in your country? Everybody knew that they had to protest. And there was also an understanding, and many people said that once 100,000 persons come out to the streets of Minsk, well, the dictator would be gone. Unfortunately, it did not happen, but people understood that people's power is just peaceful protest. Right. Uh, the day of the election and uh, the next two days, there were huge problems with internet in Belarus. Yes. So the communication that. was uh, very limited. And uh, there were no kind of uh, center uh, that would mobilize the protest from within. Surely, Svetlana Tikhanovska is an alternative candidate. She invited people to protect their uh, votes. But there were no direct calls from her to uh, mobilize in a certain place. And what was really unusual, most information came through Telegram messenger uh, channels. Right. And there is one very popular, the most popular channel is uh, Nexta, somebody. Well, it, Nexta means in Belarusian, somebody. Young person in his 20s, a young journalist from, uh, who resides now in Poland who made a very good uh, film on Lukashenko's rule half a year ago. And it was very popular among uh, young people. One might say he is of the same age as Lukashenko's rule. So he's uh, right. 20, 25. He made a good film for people of his age uh, about the, uh, the regime. Well, for people of long day engagement and, uh, well, 
political participation <laughs> like me, well, there were not, nothing new. Right. But for younger generation that went to the schools with ideological control by the regime, uh, that uh, didn't have uh, easy access and were not looking for alternative information because one has uh, also to bear in mind, well, public media in Belarus where state-run uh, television and radio are completely dominated by the regime. And right. there are no alternative. If you look for alternative information, it's possible to find it, but you need to put more efforts. There okay. is an independent TV channel, Belsat. There is uh, Radio Liberty. There is a number of other media outlets. But it turned out that most recent information about uh, where to gather, uh, what to do, went from this uh, Nexta, Nexta Telegram channel. At the beginning of the campaign, it seems to me that he had uh, 500,000 subscribers right now. And th there are two channels, Nechta Live and uh, Nechta. The uh, Nechta Live has uh, 2 million subscribers. Uh, we have 7 million voters in Belarus. It, it means uh, from one-fourth to one-third of voters of electorate in Belarus are following what is happening in the country through this uh, Telegram channel. And another one, which is uh, Nechta, has uh, it seems to me uh, 900,000 uh, subscribers. This is why the regime uh, immediately, well, uh, prior to the, in the back to the election, they launched an uh, attack against bloggers and against also the owners of other Telegram channels who were uh, living in Belarus. Right, right. now, Igor Losik, for example, we have another Telegram channel, the Belarus of the brain. He is in prison. And um, another way of communicating was, uh, to a lesser extent now, but uh, prior to the uh, election, uh, in the wake of the, uh, well, during the campaign, were uh, YouTube channels as well. Uh, through right. YouTube, and it, it also, thanks to YouTube, that uh, Sergei Tikhanovsky, the imprisoned uh, uh, husband of Svetlana Tikhanovsky, became so popular. So uh, YouTube, uh, where you provide uh, as an individual through your own eyes, you provide uh, some political information and you share information. It, it's understandable to the same minded fellow citizens and so on. Right now we have up to 20 persons, bloggers or uh, administrators of uh, uh, Telegram channels who are in prison and they are uh, criminally prosecuted. There were no tr trials yet but they are all in prison right now. And it explains that regime belatedly, but the regime understood what is the strength of the bloggers and telegram channels. This is why they cut internet and it was almost impossible to have direct access to many media and also to download information through telegram channels. But many Belarusians used me as well, used circumvention tools like Tor browser or Siphon, which helps to circumvent the uh, censorship. And uh, I myself, I manage on uh, August the 9th, uh, the 10th and 11th, mostly of the day, thanks to Siphon application, I managed to have at least uh, access to Telegram channels. Right. And apparently many Belarusians as well. As far as I understand, there were over 1 million downloads of a Siphon application from Belarus and people use it. That's incredible. Incredible how technology comes together with people's preferences. There is a debate in the West about whether it's a good thing or a bad thing that there's not a single charismatic leader inside Belarus right now. Svetlana Tikhanovskaya, of course, is in Lithuania. What do you think of that question, Alice? Is it a positive thing that there's not a one leader or is it a negative thing? Well, it might be maybe helpful, but we have what we have. And 
the decentralization, the decentralization of the protest helped to spread it. Right. Because the regime is still consolidated. Its grip upon the so-called power block, the law enforcement agencies, is still strong. There, there were some divisions, right? I, I wanted okay. to ask you that. Are there any signs of divisions within the Siloviki or within Mr. Lukashenko's uh, government or not yet? Well, sometimes, especially from the middle range officials, there were uh, a number of officers from uh, police who resigned and did it even openly. Right. There is solidarity fund created by Belarusians, by some businessmen, especially from IT companies, and they have already uh, one million and a half dollars for those who would uh, not accept the regime's policies and would uh, leave the law enforcement agencies. Right. And apparently I looked for the information. They said that up to 300 persons applied for them for assistance. There are some movements and people, especially middle range, we don't have at the level of ministers, the situation is unchanged for the regime. But so at far, the lower right. level, we have a number of people, for example, in the city of Lida, there was a colonel, he was uh, head of the local police and uh, he resigned and he uh, wrote an open letter. Uh, there's also a person that seems to be yesterday who left Belarus, but he was arrested in Russia and uh, brought back to Belarus. He is from the uh, investigation committee as well. He resigned. So we have such a number. Well, it's difficult what uh, the exact number, but still. Alice, I know that you've been at the demonstrations, including the tremendously giant, large demonstration last Sunday. Can you tell our listeners just a little bit about what it feels like on the streets to see all those people together? I'd be curious just to understand your emotional reaction. We've been talking very analytically now. Now I'd like to ask you just about what it feels like to be in such amazing events in your country. I had tears in my eyes because it was so unexpected. You know, I traveled a lot abroad. And coming back to Belarus, I was surprised that uh, people are very sad and not looking each other into eyes. I saw yesterday and uh, before a different uh, situation because people were, well, we know that there were repressions. People were beaten while there was undeclared war of the regime against its own people. And they used stun grenades, uh, well, gas, uh, uh, they used uh, water cannons, and they tortured people. Uh, and we have many, many witnesses over their stories. Despite uh, all that, people were happy, glad to see each other. And there were so huge crowds. And well, with the national flags, white, red, uh, white flags, uh, which are different because Lukashenko uses former Soviet symbols. I was uh, with uh, my family. We have uh, two sons uh, of uh, four years and uh, four months, and we were there. There were many people with uh, young kids as well. Just beside us, there was a pregnant woman, and it was so inspiring. And we had this feeling that we are not a minority. We are majority. And we are facing a very hostile and uh, unfortunately aggressive and unfortunately armed minority, which protects the dictator. One could barely see a policeman in the city center and people were self-organized. 
uh, everything was clean. People were uh, positive to each other and it, it was uh, really so amazing. There were people with water, uh, people uh, suggesting even some sn uh, snacks and it was so inspiring and we uh, felt that we have the power. Being together, we have the power. And this is uh, really emotionally very strong because, you know, there are ups and downs uh, and when we see crackdowns, when we see the dictator together with his right police and uh, each day we hear new information about people being uh, arrested. Uh, just today, two persons were from the coordination councils that were arrested and uh, maybe already tried. And uh, some people from factory strike committees were also arrested or even disappeared. So when we hear all the time this information, we uh, know that it can hit at any moment but still people peacefully gather and show that they do not agree. This is really strong. Belarus has changed. And I cannot predict when the regime would be gone. The country has changed. And one of the reasons why people were very unhappy with the regime, because from 2010, we didn't almost have any economic growth. So the country stagnated. The regime tried to create kind of consumers, but not citizens. Just you can consume, but forget about politics. And now we have both. Well, from consumers, my fellow Belarusians are becoming truly citizens because they know that their rights, their property was stolen by the regime. People of different age that were positive to each other and expecting for the better and understanding that they uh, run a risk, but they are ready to take this risk. And even if the regime becomes uh, even more military uh, dictatorship and uh, there is another brutal crackdown, well, some people think about fleeing the country, but I know that there are many Belarusians that would stay and they would, uh, even if they leave Belarus, they would do their best to change our country for better. And this is very important. Wow, thank you so much for sharing that. That was very nice to hear, given the, the history of your country and your, your own history, by the way, in struggling against this regime. So the last question, which I know you cannot answer, but what happens next? What do you think are the next moves that we'll see from Mr. Lukashenko and from the opposition? Well, Lukashenko promises anyway that he would, uh, and unfortunately he has some proofs in his record that he would uh, use any force to protect his power. He has also, to some extent anyway, he can rely on Putin. Right. And still there is my late friend Vitaly Selitsky wrote about authoritarian international. So Lukashenko survived thanks to support from Russia. And you know, both Russian and Chinese leaders, the Chinese was the first to congratulate Lukashenko with the victory. And then uh, went Putin. Lukashenko and Putin several times, even today. There are already some consultants and at least uh, uh, TV presenters from Russia, because uh, we have people from uh, national television completely controlled by the regime, but the people couldn't uh, bear anymore. And they resigned. Many of them were fired and uh, the regime uh, invited the Russian TV presenters. The Belarusians uh, speak Russian, but uh, a bit a different Russian, and uh, it's possible to hear that uh, these presenters come from Russia. It's highly mm. likely that there are some consultants, Russian consultants, uh, political consultants, but also some people, uh, advisors, that would uh, work closely with uh, the KGB, which has not changed the name, or the, with uh, defense ministry. A month ago, we have a new prime minister who represents exactly the so-called VPK, the military industrial complex. And uh, we have a kind of militarization of Belarus and uh, it might continue. This is the worst scenario. Well, the best scenario, it would be that uh, Lukashenko resigns uh, and we have a new election without him. 
and uh, the democratic change happens and uh, well Belarus becomes a parliamentary republic and we continue to implement democratic reforms. And something in between, there is a coordination council as the international community calls the regime for the dialogue with the opposition. Well, uh, there might be kind of a dialogue with, uh, maybe the, the regime would accept the dialogue with the opposition. For now, uh, there is no talk. They do not accept at all. Right, uh, and right. Lukashenko uh, from the very beginning said, we don't need any dialogue and so on. If strikes of factories continue, if there is still mobilization, and we expect, many people expect that in fall, there would be a huge economic crisis in the country. Because Russia does not uh, provide the same subsidies to the regime as uh, it used to be. Lukashenko might try to, in exchange for his uh, own rule, uh, might accept uh, more concessions to Russia and uh, actually to accept the, him being a kind of governor of, uh, of Russia for keeping his power. There might be kind of a dialogue, but uh, he is a person, the ruler himself, he is a person that is not negotiable. It's, it's right. impossible for him, uh, knowing that he would anyway try to uh, keep uh, his grip on power and to do everything. And he uh, promised many things uh, during his 26-year rule. Even to Russia, he didn't deliver. It's very important to continue mobilization. It's very important uh, uh, well to help people and uh, to really unite people and have more solidarity at the local level. And still, well, there is an expression, all politics is local, but uh, we in Belarus, we don't have any legitimate government. All the council appointed by the regime. So we need to have a legitimate body. Maybe the coordination council would become a legitimate body that would represent the majority of the society. And progressively, we would be uh, putting more pressure, always within the peaceful resistance. Hopefully, the regime would uh, make more mistakes and uh, it would become even more isolated. And anyway, a condition for successful change is uh, a split within the power block. Uh, unfortunately, right. we don't have it yet. So, well, we have interior minister and defense minister who are very loyal to the ruler. And uh, yesterday, the defense minister promised that the army would be in the streets to protect the so-called constitutional order. Well, it sounds like there's lots more drama to come. And we hope, Alice, that you'll help us uh, understand those future dramas. And we can have you come back to our podcast and help us because today's been a fantastic discussion. Speaking for myself personally, I am very inspired by the actions of you, the citizens of Belarus. I know that you have been involved in this struggle for many, many years, and it's a delight for me to at least see these moments today when the fruits of your work over years are now being manifested on the streets of Belarus. So thank you for that. Thank you for spending so much time with us at a very busy time in your country, and we hope you'll come back again to update us on events that are happening in Belarus. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. And uh, keep looking and following what is happening in Belarus. It's very important because people in other countries get inspiration from what is happening in Belarus and lessons as well. Thank you very much. You've been listening to World Class from the Freeman Spogli Institute for International Studies at Stanford University. If you like what you're hearing, please review us on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to know your thoughts. And be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or wherever you're listening to stay up to date on what's happening in the world and why.